Welcome to the Shine Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Canadian, and I am so grateful that you are here. I am a wife, mother of three boys, certified massage therapist, and a devoted alcohol recovery coach who helps driven women break through their alcohol dependency without the traditional 12-step program. Each week, I will bring you inspiring guests with focus on mindset, health, and spirituality, providing you the tips and tools to help you create unshakable confidence, clarity, and energy so you can unleash your creative potential and live the life of your dreams alcohol-free. So tune in for some fun, and if you are ready to shine, welcome. Welcome back. This is Gina Canadian, your host here, and I am with a very, very special guest, a dear friend of mine, and also a person that I admire. Her name is Molly Desk. She is a certified women's sober coach, advocate for sober awareness, podcast host, and single mother of two. As the founder of As You Are, a sober women's coaching company, she has worked with women from all walks of life to free themselves from alcohol with renewed energy, confidence, and pride using her sustainable path to sobriety program. She has been featured in publications such as CBS, NBC, Authority Magazine, Wimmel, and Real Simple. She also hosts This Is Sober, the podcast that focuses on exploring what life in sobriety is really like. Each week, she dives into topics that impact those who are struggling with an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, providing useful tips and strategies to string more days together and eventually overcome the drinking hamster wheel. You can find out about her coaching program, This Is Sober Podcast, and download her free workbook, Wine Stole My Dreams, from her website, asyouarelifecoaching.com. Welcome, Molly. I'm so happy you're here. I can give you a virtual hug, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Gina. Of course, of course. So I wanted to talk about relapse. I know I relapsed many, many times in my life uh, with my alcoholism. You know, and here I think I can always, hey, you know, I got this, or I can, you know, drink and be okay. But in reality. I wasn't okay. And I constantly went back to my old patterns and behaviors when I thought I was over overcoming alcoholism by, oh, just one drink here and there. I'm okay. So can you tell me your experiences with relapse and how how you overcame them? Yeah, um, I like how you mentioned that you're like, oh, I can do this. I got I could totally do this. I got this. That was the very first relapse experience I had. Me and my boyfriend were on a little couple getaway weekend and we were sitting at this restaurant it was like late September I had been sober over an entire year hadn't drank a single drop and um it was such a nice day out it was so warm we were sitting on the patio everybody was like in such a good mood drinking beers and I was like I think I'm gonna order myself a beer that sounds really good And he looks, my boyfriend looks at me and he's like, what are you doing? Like, what is happening right now? And I'm like, don't worry, I got it. It's no big deal. I can totally do this. I will be in control. It's all good, whatever. So I had one beer and oh my God, Gina, it went down so fast. And it was just like, you know, it's like falling back in love with it all over again. And, you know, I felt that really warm, fuzzy feeling in my stomach I felt looser. I felt like I was, like I belonged where we were. I just felt, I just felt like my old self again, you know? And um, I had two beers at that meal. And while I didn't, you know, completely fall off the wagon and get smashed or, you know, do all the crazy things that we tend to do when we get super drunk, I realized that I got really cocky. And I feel like that is something that happens to a lot of people in their early recovery. Um, Like I work with women and so many times, like after like two weeks or a month, they're like, oh, I got this. I can have like one glass of wine. And it's just like this crazy thought that goes through your head that, you know, you do have got everything under control. 
And it's a false reality because we all know those of us that have chosen to get sober for whatever reason, like that's not our truth. Our truth isn't we have this and we can drink in moderation. Like we choose to be completely free of it. So I thought it was a really interesting um, scenario that I got myself into. Um, And actually the very next day, on that trip, we went back to the same restaurant and I had two more beers. And um, like, I didn't feel hungover, but I definitely got a buzz immediately. And looking back on that taught me a lot. It taught me that, you know, this is my journey and I chose to get sober and there should be no reason to want to drink anymore. it didn't, it didn't bring me joy. I wasn't like super stoked. I wasn't like, yes, I'm so glad I had those two beers. It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was an awakening to my, um, to the lie that we, we tell ourselves sometimes like, I got this, I'm strong enough. I can do this. Um, so regardless of how many I had that day, the, the monster was there you know, tapping on my shoulder, whispering in my ear, you know, you can do that, Molly. It's okay. Just have one. Yes. Thanks for sharing that because I I noticed that for myself as well. It's like, you hear that voice like, oh, you got it. It's okay. It's okay. But then your conscious is like, <laughs> or your spirit is like, uh, oh, heck no. <laughs> you are way better than this. You stopped for a reason. Uh, and look how you were acting, behaving, the wh- whatever you were doing when you were drinking, how are you going to go back? <laughs> no, it's, it's hard yeah. though. It is definitely hard. And did you, did you feel like there was something else within you that said, you know what? No, I'm not going to go ahead and, and, and drink anymore. Yeah. So after that weekend, I mean, there was probably like three or four months after that, that, you know, I didn't drink. I had, I don't know, uh, a really emotional experience come up for me and it wasn't a new emotion. Like I had felt this before, but it was new in my sobriety and I didn't know how to handle it. So, um, my boyfriend at the time, he was doing a lot of traveling and he was out of town for a couple of weeks and we were sitting there. Um, I was sitting out on the back deck and I think it was like spring and, um, we were FaceTiming each other and he was moving around the, his hotel room. And when he panned the camera a little bit, I noticed a case of Bud Light sitting in the background and that triggered me. And at the time, and probably, you know, for months afterwards, I didn't realize what was going on inside of me. But looking back now, there was a lot of emotions that were coming up for me. Um, one was fear of missing out. You know, we all want to be what and do what everybody else is doing. Um, but it, it really showed that, you know, he can have a few drinks, but I can't. And I feel like it kind of comes comes in waves and you you start to tell yourself like, you know, what's wrong with me? How come I can't have a drink like he can, you know, why am I such an idiot? Why do I always fail at this? Why do I suck? And you really start to get down on yourself. And the biggest lesson of that particular experience was I didn't own my sobriety journey. You know, I quit because I felt like I had to, like I was going to die if I did it. And that was it. Like I didn't have a, a real um, innate why. And a part of me was, was scared that I was in control of this sober journey. I had to trust myself. I had never trusted myself like this before, um, because I'd always screwed up in the past. And, you know, if somebody stuck some drugs or alcohol in front of me, like I was doing it you know? And so this was like the first time that I had to realize, like, this is all about you, Molly. It's you and you alone. You're the only person that can hold yourself accountable for this. You're the only person that can tell your story and that can own your sobriety. And I felt like at that moment, 
I had been depending on somebody else to help me through and keep me sober. And in the end, it's all about you and owning your sober story and owning your why. And my why was went so much deeper than I just have to do this. So I feel like the emotional immaturity comes up for people a lot. Um, It's not a new emotion. We've all been angry or sad or jealous. But when you first decide to get sober and those emotions come up, it feels completely different. It's so much more raw and real. And if you don't have healthy strategies to deal with them, you're going to go right back to drinking or you're going to want to drink really bad and you're not going to be able to manage those emotions very well. Yes, emotions do do come up, but I, I wanted to, I heard you talking about your why. I was curious, like, what is Molly's why? What is your why? Because I'm worth it. That's right. And I think a lot of times we, we feel like we're not worth it. Like, we don't care. And I think that's a lot of times what we go to drinking is because we want to mask our true emotions and what we feel inside about ourselves, our lifestyle, our environment, anything that's happening to us. We want to just numb it and create this like different avatar <laughs> practically of being somebody else that really we think is good at the time. But in the long run, you're just killing yourself, you know, and Have you had any experiences at all when it comes to drinking or when you drank very heavily that you felt like some other type of like presence or being like kind of coming within you at all? You ever experienced that? Oh yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah. I mean, I would feel like anytime I would black out. Um, I mean, there were situations. I remember one time in high school um, I had taken um, a Klonopin and drank drank a whole bunch of alcohol and I blacked out probably for I don't know probably an hour or so and when I came to people were telling me that I was trying to fight people like I have zero recollection of that so there's kind of like an angry side um that I feel like could come out when I get drunk um I mean I have a lot of stories where when I would drink too much and this this angry beast would essentially emerge and take over and I felt like it wasn't something that I could control yeah I've actually experienced that with a friend of mine unfortunately she did pass away and this is when we were in our early 20s um she would just completely transform you can see it in her face you can see it in her demeanor the way she was standing she wasn't all wobbly it's just like something took over and I remember when after uh we went to a friend's house she was acting very belligerent and we had to bring her back to my home and like we put her in the bath you know we're trying to get her to feel better and she was just like like I needed like a um what do you call those jackets a straight jacket straight jacket yes and uh, it's just she was all demonic and everything and I was like oh my goodness but then the other side of her when she was sober Molly, I swear she was just the sweetest, loving, most beautiful person in the world, you know, and it was so sad that I did lose her um, because she was drinking and driving, you know, hit a center divider, got freaked out because it would have been maybe her like second or third DUI. She went across the freeway and got hit by a a Toyota Tundra and like on close to where I am actually living right now. And every time I drive by there, I just remember her and I'm just like, oh my goodness, she it's so hard to lose like someone so close. And then I didn't even really understand alcoholism because I never thought I had a problem. I was just starting to drink because this was in our early twenties. And it's, it's so sad to see people change. Now, when it comes to friendships, did you have to cut off a lot of people when you became sober? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, there's friends and then you've got drinking buddies, right? So I feel like the drinking buddies just naturally and organically fell away. Um, It was also, I got sober right before COVID. So that was almost a blessing because I wasn't going out. I wasn't, you know, there weren't happy hours or parties or anything like that. 
So I feel like that was just nature's way of separating me from that crowd, um, which was really great. I've gotten to know um, a lot of sober people, people that maybe, you know, they're not outright or forthright sober, but they choose to not drink or they choose their, you know, their body and their mind and their health over drinking. Um, And I've just gotten a lot closer to my friends, my children, my mom. Um, And so the people that do stick by you during your sobriety, obviously those are your real friends. I mean, I have, you know, three or four girlfriends that I talk to regularly and yes, they, they imbibe, they drink um, from time to time, but you know, they are proud of me and we get to share so much more meaningful, deeper relationships now that alcohol is not involved in the relationship. And I, I really love that. Yeah. You can tell who are your true friends out when you get sober because the drinking buddies, quote unquote, right. will just tend to dissolve from your life. Meanwhile, your true friends will say and support you. Yeah, they're drinking, but they probably don't even have like any issues. They can just drink and stop. Unlike how you and I were, where we had one glass of wine. We need to drink the whole bottle of wine then. <laughs> Maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you really do get a like understanding as far as like, who are my true friends when you get sober? And it's a blessing because you don't need those people in your life if they tend to leave, you know? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. And So when, with your clients, how do you help them? I mean, I'm sure they've relapsed or have they not? Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh yeah. They have. Yeah. yeah. Some of them have. Yeah. Now what, what uh, do you tell them or how do they express the fact that they relapse? First off, are they shameful telling you or there's like Molly, I straight up drink. (laughs) What do I do next? (laughs) Yeah. Um, At first, like the first time they may, they, drink and they confess, you know, quote unquote confess, you know, um, they do feel a little shameful, but before we even get into working together, you know, I'm, I'm very honest with them and let them know that, you know, drinking has been such a huge part of your life to completely abstain for good and never make a single mistake that's few and far between. There's not a whole lot of people that have been sober for decades that have never had a a relapse moment. Um, I do know of several people that have never had a single drink of drop, uh, a single drop of alcohol since they got sober, but that's few and far between. Um, It is normal and it's a, it's an opportunity. You know, it is a gift when you relapse don't waste the gift. You should be looking into your why, you know, solidify that why, love yourself and learn from it, you know? So I feel like compassion is, is a huge um, component when, when my clients relapse, you know, there's, there's no judgment, you know, I've been there. Who am I to judge them? Um, We all have stressful moments. Like I said, when these emotions come up, you know, they're not new emotions. They're just new to us in our sobriety. And you've got to figure out how to handle them. And um, I feel like every time you encounter either a relapse or a thought pattern that's wanting you to relapse, you can utilize it as a gift and reframe your sobriety. Like, am I going to avoid that person, that situation? Um, you know, what can I do differently next time is, is the most important takeaway. Um, and it, it allows you to build that trust in yourself. Um, a lot of women have a lack of trust and confidence in themselves. And so just every time that you're able to say no, whether it's by yourself or you're with somebody else, you're like adding a little, a little Jenga piece to the top, you know, you're like adding to your, your confidence in, and building a higher, a bigger tower of, you know, I can do this. I am, I am strong and resilient and um, yeah. Yes. It's, it's. You know, it's a, it's a learning lesson. And as long as you're wanting still to get better, you're, 
it's okay to relapse because that's how you grow. I said, every failure is a learning opportunity. It's not even failure. It's only failure once you quit completely. But just when you're keeping on that path of sobriety and you're looking at your, your destination, you're like, I am definitely going to be getting there. That's all that matters is what you truly want. And that's to get sober eventually, you know? So I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, Just like you said, don't give up. Don't give up because I think a lot of people think they're a failure right away. Like it's either all or nothing. And that's where I always struggled. I was, I'm all or nothing. So it was either I drink or I don't drink. And if I relapse, then I would have to go back to then drinking hardcore. And then like in a long duration of time, I would then drink and then try to get sober and then quit. Oh, you know, and then drink again. <laughs> it was like a cycle <laughs> and it's like never ending, never ending. But unfortunately, uh, I was able to break through and finally get sober <laughs> and celebrate. And speaking yeah. of celebration, when your clients reach certain milestones, how do you suggest for them to celebrate with like self-love and self-care? Um, it's kind of funny because I track my clients' progress more than they do. And so usually um, I have them all on my sober time app. And so I check in to that periodically. And when they hit milestones, you know, I'll either send them a little gift or um, send them a message and just let them know how proud of them I am. Um, everybody wants to celebrate it differently, you know? I mean, for those, you know, that want some like tangible token, like they give out an AA, the the coins that you can get. Um, but I really feel like just just being in your own awesomeness and loving on yourself, like you said, self-love is it's so important and, and just being proud of yourself, you know, like for some women, this is, this is the biggest accomplishment of their life. And it's, it's enormous at one week, one month, six months, you know, every little, every little bit counts. And just like with any goal, if you're not celebrating those milestones, then, you know, what's the per what's the point, you know, like, it's all about the journey. There's not a particular destination. So being able to celebrate that along the way is, is really important. Yeah. And I think what, what you do is incredible. Like you, we don't have too many sober coaches out there. <laughs> At least I don't know too many of them. <laughs> and I think that t being along with them gives accountability as well. And so it, it's nice to have your client turn to you saying, Hey, what should I do next? It's not like, uh, what do you call those? Um, I've never actually even had one before at AA, they provide you a, uh, oh, a sponsor sponsor. <laughs> See, I don't even sponsor. It's way different because you do something very unique with your clients. And I just learned about this myself and it's, uh, something called Enneagram. Can you explain a little bit about what Enneagram is and how that helps your clients? Oh yeah. I love the Enneagram. It's so cool. It's, I mean, just to break it down easily is a personality assessment and there's nine different Enneagram types. And they're broken up into three different categories. And within that, I mean, every Enneagram, everybody that's taken the Enneagram that I know of that's looked at it is just like, oh my God, this is so spot on. It's crazy. Um, the sober journey is, it's got to be the most personalized journey of your life. Um, so take dieting, for example, right? You've got at keto or the Mediterranean or, you know, the South beach diet. And they're like, okay, these are the foods that you can eat. These are the foods that you can't eat. This is how much you have to exercise. And it's a very prescriptive program, right? It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for everybody. Right. Whereas in sobriety, it has to be completely customized and personal. And the Enneagram is one of the tools that I use to personalize that, okay? So for example, I am an Enneagram 5. And an Enneagram 5 
is somebody that is a little shut off from the world. They crave knowledge. So I love to research topics and read things. And then I like to talk about it and share that information with the world. Um, so when I relate that to my sober journey, like Whitlit, that's my jam. I love to read about other people's sober journeys, how they started out, how they got to where they are. I love, um, recently I've been doing a lot of research on um, alcohol and hormones and how that impacts like a woman's hormones specifically. Um, I was doing a piece on women's history month. So learning about all of the women who have shaped sobriety, you know, from the early eight or the late 1800s to now and how that's impacted, you know, personalized women's programs and stuff like that. So that stuff really helps me um, stay sober. And I know it sounds really weird, but like reading and learning more information, it really does because I'm passionate about it. So if you take somebody, for example, um, well, what's your Enneagram, Gina? Oh my gosh. So I just found out that I am an Enneagram number seven. Oh, okay. Tell us about that. It said that I am a optimist entertainer. <laughs> an optimistic entertainer? I think that's what it was. Oh, you're the optimist. <laughs> optimist. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, but I think this, I think everyone is an entertainer because <laughs> we're living on planet earth. So that's our job is to entertain, but optimism, I guess that I like to be involved with people <laughs> a lot. I like to be out there with people, working with people. And it says that I don't like to be alone. I don't like conflict. I don't like uh, boredom. It's best not for me to be bored. And it's so true because literally I drink because I was bored. I had nothing else to do. I have like no goals, no nothing. I was just working and that's it. <laughs> and I was bored and right. so I would drink. And so what I love is that actually you gave me, <laughs> you gave me something which was nice, a little toolkit, which helped me identify like what activities I should be doing uh, in case I get bored. What, what, uh, what, what, how I should love myself, do self-care and which I think was meditation and also all these different things. I have to reread it again because I read it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is me. This is me. This is me. But it's so neat. And I love that because it does really personalize everything. So I'm like, this is me. <laughs> this, this test knows because <laughs> I don't think I've ever taken the test before. Besides one of those disc tests that was back in like 2006 or so. Uh, and this is I was just an influencer, whatever that means. I don't know. <laughs> But this one was very, <laughs> very uh, dead on. So I, I really appreciate the Enneagram. Yeah. So for you in your sobriety, I mean, you've already been sober. What is it? Seven years now? Oh, uh, f over five years. Over five years. Okay. My bad. Um, so you've, you know, you've already been doing all the things and you've got down what works for you. Um, so for somebody that's newly sober, you know, what do they have to compare? You know, they've got their weekly or nightly drinks, their cocktails, like that's what they do. That's what they're spending their time on. The emotions are getting masked by the drinking. So there's nothing like an excuse for it. Like that's who and it, and it helps me grow and it helps me be authentic. So I feel like that's, it's, it's really cool. And I love the tool. It's very cool. Yes. And I'm so happy I have it because it's like my little cheat sheet, like you said, like, okay, what should I do? And and you discover yourself and it, it's hard because that's why we drink. We don't know who the hell we are. Excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't know who we are and, and it's hard. And I think a lot of times society wants us to be a certain way or maybe they're dragging us to drink. Who knows? They want to <laughs> get rid of the population here. I don't know. <clears throat> But I, <laughs> but I feel like society promotes alcohol so much that it's like in our face. Like, okay, you go to movies, everyone's drinking. You drive it's on the billboard. There's like an alcohol ad. 
you go to your friend's house. Most likely they're going to be drinking <laughs> or there's going to be alcohol there. You go anywhere, a restaurant, there's alcohol. Everywhere you go, there's alcohol. Why? I'm just wondering, like, why is it promoted so much when it's so bad for us and we become addicted? I mean, it's just like big tobacco, right? Like, yeah, right. I mean, it was, it was sexy and it was, um, you know, like a social status and, um, you know, even when they started advertising to women, you know, women weren't allowed, like allowed quote unquote to smoke and then it became socially acceptable and then it was just kind of like look at me I'm fancy with my cigarette and it's all about the money I mean they are huge lobbyists for government officials and they give them a shitload of money and when they run out of money guess what our government officials are running out of money so the same thing is with alcohol alcohol has just kind of become the new big tobacco if you will And it's all about money. So that's why you see these commercials of, you know, everybody's having a great time. We're dancing. We're at this tailgate. and Everybody's like laughing and jumping around. And I mean, the one that really gets me is where there's, there's two women and this woman, she's like, just got done with this like really long run because she looks exhausted and she looks like a runner, you know, she's like very lean and she just looks like a runner and she runs up to this driveway and her friend's standing there and she's holding these two Michelob ultras and it's like hey you just got done running you know eight miles let's have a beer and it's like what the frick you know like that is like the complete opposite of what you should do after a, a run you should be drinking water and stretching and it just it blows my mind but that's how they're using this advertising to get more women and then like all these seltzers like these seltzers kind of came out of nowhere I mean that's very oh my god like think about teenagers you know it's kind of like the energy drinks it's like fun and um you know it doesn't I don't know just like compare that to like a Bud Light bottle it's like kind of boring they're like full of fun colors like rainbow colors and they've got cool names And so that's like attracting a younger crowd and women as well. So, I mean, they're very smart, very smart, but I mean, beware, we're catching on to you. We know what you're up to. We know what you have up your sleeve and there's a sober movement coming. Heck yeah. You know, the sober movement is on its way. (laughs) If, if If tobacco has dissolved or is dissolving, so can alcohol. And I noticed that a lot of people are becoming more sober curious. Oh, and just to back up a little bit, I used to be one of those who would drink during running. During running, though, instead of a water bottle, I would have alcohol in my water bottle. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those. So, <laughs> But I didn't have a nice six-pack or whatever in the commercial. But they definitely tried to influence you to, to drink. But I, I definitely feel like there is a movement happening. Um, there's should be more sober coaches like you. And I feel that a lot of people are becoming sober curious because I'm having conversations here and there with people who used to drink and they're like, Oh, you know, I'm trying to wean off drinking or I'm trying to like not drink for this month. You know, I, I I just literally heard about sober curious, like last, last four months ago, I never even heard of it before. Um, Have you, have you heard of sober curious before? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so Ruby Warrington, she actually coined the term and she's got the book. Uh, she wrote the book called Sober Curious. And um, when I was drinking, see, I've said this before on other podcasts. I was not curious. I just was all in. I felt like it was totally normal. Um, there was I didn't have any influencers around me that were like, hey, maybe you should moderate or this is kind of the cool thing to do is like dry January or, you know, take a few weeks off. Like that was not a part of my life at all. So I went from 100% drinking to 100% quitting, you know? And so I love the Sober Curious movement. Um, There's, uh, what's that other girl? There's another influencer on TikTok and it's a damp lifestyle. So she's got like a bunch of videos about 
how to go into like a happy hour sober and make sure that you're drinking a couple waters in between there. And so I really love it because it's, it's encouraging people to be more conscious about the role alcohol plays in their life. And there's nothing bad about that. Like I don't dog anybody that is sober curious and, you know, hasn't quite got there yet, or maybe they never get there. Um, but just to go back to Ruby, it, it's so interesting because in her book, she doesn't claim that she will never drink alcohol again, because who are we to say that we will never, ever, ever drink alcohol again? Like who knows, right? And she doesn't particularly say how often she drinks or how much she drinks because it creates this comparison, right? We're always comparing ourselves to other like, oh, well, I'm not that bad because, you know, Bob over there, he's a full-blown alcoholic, you know, he can't get his shit together. So I am not like that. And so I'm good. What it really comes down to is how does it make you feel? Like, how do you feel about it? Like, are you cool with how much you drink? Like, are you happy with it? Are you like, I'm so glad I drink this much. You know, it's all about you. Have the conversation with yourself. Don't let media or advertising or anybody else tell you, this is how you have to have a good time. And this is how much you have to drink to have a good time. Totally. That's like, I totally agree with that. And drinking, I was always at the club drinking and everyone else was drinking and I would drink, everyone would buy shots and everything. We would line them up and just drink and shot after shot after shot. But I never thought I had a problem though. What I thought is I had a high tolerance. That's all I said to myself is, you know, I, oh, I just have a high tolerance. I don't have a problem. How much does a person need to drink in order for them to realize they actually have a problem? It's up to you. I mean, for, um, for some people, it's, it's one a week. Maybe they have this you know, wine fascination every Friday at the end of the work week, it's like, they're wanting to celebrate, Hey, I made it this whole work week. And so they, you know, quote unquote, reward themselves with a bottle of wine. And on Saturday morning, they feel like total doo-doo and they don't get any of their chores done. They don't want to do grocery shopping. They just, they just feel horrible. Right. Like that could be enough for them. You know, it, it really just depends on who you want to be as a person. I don't feel like there's, you know, the, what is it? The psychology handbook, the DMV or no, it's not the DMV. (laughs) DMV. A DSM? It's like, yeah, it's like, okay. So if you have, they've got, I guess, checklist, right? And it's called alcohol abuse disorder. It's not alcoholism anymore. So it's alcohol abuse disorder. And if you have at least, you know, one to three, if you answer one to three, yes, on this, then you have like a low alcohol abuse disorder. If you answer three to five, then it's moderate. And then anything above that, you have severe. And so they've tried to classify it, but, you know, it's all bullshit to me, like, if you feel like your drinking is too much, look online and see what they call alcoholism or an alcoholic or whatever, you know, it's, it's what you feel, you know, really ask yourself, is this good for me? Is this what I want? Yeah. What it's, do you important, think? it's important to self-evaluate, you know, just take a look at yourself, self-examine yourself. Like, you know, how are my, how is my behavior when I drink? You know, how do I act around people? How are my relationships? How, how is my job working out? And really take a look at yourself and say, Hey, or how do you want to feel? Do you want to feel miserable every morning waking up with, you know, wanting to throw up headache, you know, sweats, who knows? Everybody's body reacts differently. And I think everybody does respond differently to alcohol. But for me, what it took is almost death because I remember I was at my my brother's house during Thanksgiving, just about to die. I felt like because I didn't have any alcohol and I didn't want to drink in front of my family because they knew I was trying to not drink as much. Whatever. They, <laughs> I lied to them. And so I almost probably would have passed out, locked out if I, my mom didn't give me the wine that I asked her to give me because it was, it got to that point, And that's when I knew my body was dependent on the alcohol in order for me to do anything, to drive, to 
be a mom, you know, whatever that it is. And it's so sad that it had to get to that point. So I, yeah, I was I'm just like, I agree with you. You really have to take a look at yourself and see, do I want to live this way? How is it affecting people around me? And am I worth it? And the answer says, yes, you should be worth it because you are worth it. <laughs> you know, everybody is worth it. Every single being, human being here on earth is worth, worth it. We're here for a reason. We didn't just come here for no reason. We have a purpose. And I think people need to dive in and maybe meet like a Molly <laughs> and discover their purpose. You know, discover their purpose. Wow. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Utilizing the resources that you have, it's insane. Um, when I was drinking, there weren't like a million podcasts about being sober or sober coaches or, you know, publications about, you know, gray area drinking or sober curious or any of that out there. Right. And, you know, use it, use it to your benefit. Um, so if you do happen to relapse, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. Just figure out the reason why that happened to you. Or, you know, we say it happened to us, um, but why you chose to drink? Like, why did you choose that? You know, nobody forced you to put that alcohol down your throat. Figure out why, why are you here? Why did you even choose to get sober? You know, is there, is there a good reason? You know, you know, understanding your why in not just sobriety, but in life in general, you know, what is, like you said, like find your purpose. What is, what is really important to you? What do you value and grow from that? The opposite of growth is stagnation. And uh, that sounds dreadful to me. Like, I love growth. I love personal growth. I love challenging myself, learning new things, you know, getting outside of my comfort zone and looking back and being like, gosh, that wasn't so bad. Like you did pretty good. You know, like that's exciting. Yeah, self-evolution self is so important. <clears throat> and how we get there is by doing something that makes us uncomfortable every day. Like, you, you know, we have our conscious telling us, do it, do it, <laughs> just do it anyway. You gotta listen to that intuition. You know, that intuition is a guide for us and it helps us navigate through obstacles in life. And it helps with, you know, when you're in your recovery process and it helps just in general, but listen to your intuition. You feel that in your gut, huh? The gut and then the head and then the heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I, I, what, what is the best practice, do you think, to find your intuition? Now, you mentioned meditation, right? Is there any, anything else? So I've been really working on my intuition in the last couple of years. Um, and a lot of people... A lot of people refer to it as, you know, a gut instinct or, you know, something just like comes to you. So like, you're, you're like getting a download, literally. Um, the way to grow your intuition is to trust it. So if you hear something, you know, you're not literally hearing a voice, you know, this idea just kind of like pops in your head, follow it, see where it leads you. And you'll be surprised. It's probably a very good learning opportunity. It could be a business opportunity. You know, it could be uh, all sorts of things. So follow that. See where it leads you. And, you know, maybe write it down. So it's a good idea. Like, okay, I just got this idea and I'm going to write it down. I'm going to make a note about it and then do it. And then you can come back to it and be like, oh my God, it was right. Like, that is so cool. And then the next time that happens, it's going to be stronger and then stronger. And then before you know it, you're just like listening to yourself and you're just like rocking it and things are just like going your way and you're making the right decisions and all these new opportunities are opening up for you. And I'm not saying like, as soon as you start trusting your intuition, like it's not like you've won the lottery and your whole life just becomes, you know, unicorns and rainbows, but it's a part of you that is speaking to you and it's, it's inside you and it's, it is evolving and the more you trust it, the stronger it gets, the louder it gets. And I, I love it. It's very cool. I'm yes. very intuitive. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Trust your intuition. Trust it. It's not a voice. It's, it's a guide and you feel it within, like you feel it inside because I think a lot of times when we, we tap into that with prayer or meditation and we really hone into our spiritual being because we are experiencing 
hum, hum, <laughs> being a human here on earth and experiencing all these different things in life, we're supposed to actually experience. So whatever we have overcome, count that as a, such a big blessing because you overcame something. And what would you say to those who, who have overcome and who are looking for more, but yet feel like they're not worth it still? Damn, girl. For anybody that has overcome, like, sobriety, you said? Yeah, overcome anything. And, like, well, sobriety, yeah, let's just take sobriety. <laughs> I will say that a lot of people realize that they need to get sober. And I stress the word need. Okay? So they do it, and they're literally white knuckly their whole life until they figure out who they are on a deeper level, right? So you have your job, you have your family, you've got your life all in front of you. And that doesn't change because you got sober, right? People don't just move away or you don't just get a new new job. So you have to step back and take a look at yourself. So you mentioned meditation. Meditation is a really good way to get to know yourself and experience some love. Um, When I was first working through self-love because, you know, I hated my body. I hated the sound of my voice. I just didn't like, I've got these big thighs, like, ugh. You know, I didn't love myself. And when I started working through self-love, what I would do is I have like the cutest dog ever. He's a golden doodle. And so I would, I would be sitting there with him and I would just feel like this love towards him. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're so cute. I love you, buddy. What I would do is I would transfer that love to myself. So immediately, like I'm petting him and I'm like, Oh, I love you so much. And I'd be like, I love you too, Molly. And over time, you begin to transfer that feeling of love to yourself. You give yourself compassion. You give yourself a break. Nobody is perfect. We we all make mistakes every single day. We make bad choices. We screw up. But then what do we do? We get back up and we keep going. So knowing that you are worth it, it takes time. It's not like you just get sober and magically you're like, I am the coolest person on earth. I am so amazing. Like you have to work on it because for, you know, maybe months, maybe decades, you've been beating yourself up. You have been literally drowning your true essence. You have been drowning who you are on a deeper level. So you've got to get to know that person, you know? Um, I use journaling a lot. Um, it sounds kind of silly, but I have conversations with myself on paper. Um, so if I'm like struggling with making a decision or, you know, if I have like a relationship issue that comes up, I literally have a conversation with myself on paper. And so a lot of that, it's it's very spiritual because you can still have, you know, some of these downloads, like I said, and, you know, Some of these epiphanies will come through. Um, Meditation is a really good way. Um, Exercise is actually very spiritual, especially if you're like pushing yourself, Um, you know, be careful, don't hurt yourself. But um, I love yoga because it's a very um, mind, spirit, body type exercise. I'm not using it to like lose weight weight or anything just using it to see how far I can push myself like can I hold myself in this pose for like really long or maybe a little bit longer than I did yesterday and so you're like kind of challenging yourself and building those mental muscles as well as physical muscles too it's also very um very healthy so learning about you first and then everything that you learn about yourself you know, accept it. That's who you are. And it's okay. We're all different. We all have flaws, but you are worth it. We are all worth it. And it just takes some time to get there. Yes, totally. 
I think people talk bad to themselves all the time. And I think I was mentioning, talking to you about this uh, before as well, but why are you talking bad to yourself? <laughs> you know, uh, would you talk to your child that way? Unless they were misbehaving. Or, <laughs> just but would you talk to a stranger that way? <laughs> no. So why are you talking to yourself that way? And your conscious is going to immediately take on whatever you're saying to yourself. So you might as well start talking good to yourself. Even if you don't believe it at first, just do it anyway. Whatever your, your mind is telling you, if it's negative, do the opposite. Just start playing a game with it. You say, you know what? No, I'm controlling you. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go ahead and love myself. So they're like, oh, I hate myself. No, I love myself. Or, oh, I'm too fat. No, I'm looking darn good and I'm skinny. <laughs> start, you know, just start. Even if it's not there, and even if you're not there yet, say, you know what? I'm going to get there. Just start changing your language because the language is so important. How we talk to ourselves, very, very important because that's how manifestation works. Like journaling, when you journal, write down your goals every day and be specific, like write down exactly what you want to do or how you see yourself and, you know, how the sober you looks like, your higher self, whatever. Be descriptive. What is she wearing? How is she sounding? Who is she surrounding herself with? What is she eating? <laughs> you get into detail like that. And that's how manifestation works. And that's how you start building self-love. Also, I love the journaling. I love the meditation. So I think all of those combined, like you're going to really truly like, you know what? I've had this damn power all this time and I never even used it. And you have this power. Everybody does. Everybody does. It's just, it was taken away from us because of this society that we live in this controlled environment it's we can't be ourselves so we had to try to find our identity through I think drinking which created chaos so I think without the alcohol and us becoming closer to nature and all these different things I think that we find ourselves <laughs> and having somebody like yeah. Molly okay you need to go find Molly <laughs> you have to oh. how to find Molly <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to share, Molly? Because it's this is a great conversation. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. I have too. It's been amazing. Um, no, I'm jealous that you're in California because you're like spring comes away earlier than ours. If you even have winter, it's been a long winter here and I'm ready for sun. Girl, you said 60 degrees over there. Guess what? It's still 40 degrees over <laughs> during the day oh, crap. it's 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 been bad it's been raining it's been snowing I don't know <laughs> who thought California is snowing <laughs> besides like in the in the mountains in the Sierra Mountains but like over here like in the Bay Area we we're like whoa there's snow on our hills we we're like very shocked <laughs> oh yeah I got you no I'm good I think it was a really good conversation I enjoyed it a lot yeah so well, thank you can uh I, I'm gonna put all your links in the show notes but is there anywhere else people can follow you or it's know you or you have a Facebook group as well. Um, I do have a Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group though. So um, it's for anybody that's sober curious or um, on their sober journey. I'll that, put that in there too. That's great. Awesome. And they can follow you on Instagram as well and Facebook. And I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. If you're loving what you're hearing, go ahead and click the links in the show notes below. And if you're aligned, leave a five-star review.